Ira Sankey was the co-evangelist, soloist, and song leader for D.L. Moody. Their partnership began in 1870 when Moody heard him sing at a Sunday school convention and went on to span a quarter of a century. It really took off in 1873 when for two years they held amazingly successful crusades in Edinburgh, Glasgow, and London. When they returned to the United States in 1875, they were international figures. It was Christmas Eve, 1875, and Sankey was traveling by steamboat up the Delaware River. It was a beautiful, starlit evening. Many passengers were on deck who encouraged the famous evangelist to sing. Sankey, who was leaning against one of the steamship's great funnels, gazing at the stars in silent prayer, consented, intending to sing a Christmas song, but felt compelled to sing William Bradbury's Savior, Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. There was a deep stillness as his baritone floated across the quiet river on Christmas Eve. When he had finished, a man stepped up from the shadows and said, Did you ever serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered in the spring of 1860. Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, very much surprised. So did I, but I was serving with the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I raised my musket and took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing, let him sing his song to the end. I said to myself, I can shoot him afterwards. But the song you sang then was the song you sang just now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up many memories and I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that very song to me. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save this man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm of its own accord dropped limp at my side. In the face of danger, God is in control. Uh, Let's pray. God, I thank you for the story. And God, I thank you for the fact that you are in control, God. Lord, there is not a moment of despair. There is not a moment of pain, there is not a moment of confusion or death or life that escapes your control, God. Lord, I pray that as I I speak these words that you've spoken to my heart this week, God, that that I would connect with the the extreme truth of that, God, and that, that these hearers tonight would connect with the extreme truth of that, God. Lord, we rest there. We rest that You are the champion of the storm, God. You are the champion of the trial. You are the champion of of difficult times, Father. God, I pray now that You would bind the enemy from this place. Keep us from being distracted. Keep us from losing sight of, of Your glory and Your perfection, God. And you would guide us 
to your truth, to your word that you want to explode into our hearts, God. Guide us now as we study your perfect and your holy scriptures. It's in Christ's name. Amen. We are in Mark chapter 4. I uh, want to reiterate, we don't, we're not putting the scriptures up above anymore. We are uh, encourage you to grab a Bible if you don't have one on either side of me. Um, and we will be in Mark and then a, a couple other spots throughout the message tonight. Um, this is Images of Jesus Part 10, The Storm, uh, where Mark 4, 35 uh, through 41. So if you have your Bible, you can open there. We're going to... Most of the, these messages on the images of Jesus uh, are longer passages. Today is, is a different story. We have just a few verses to, to talk about. So we'll get a chance to, to dig into them um, from an expository standpoint and then pull out some implications of it. Uh, I told that story about Ira Sankey. Um, in case you missed the beginning of it, he was the, the singer evangelist for a guy named D.L. Moody. And he was one of the great evangelists. Um, uh, in in the in our country and also went to Europe as well. Um, to just I, I told that story to, to paint the picture that God is completely in control. You're going to hear me use the word storm a lot tonight, and that's a really for us a metaphor for difficulties, trials, problems that arise in our lives. And uh, I, I want us to, to see it as such. But the disciples themselves encountered a, a very real, very physical storm. So that kind of sets the scene. I want to read the. Uh, the first three verses of our, our scripture tonight, and it sets up the scene. Uh, again, these are images of Jesus' points and, and little specific periods of time that Mark felt uh, appropriate to share with his readers to, to get a grasp of who Jesus was. So the image that I want you guys to get in your mind is in these first three verses. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with them so get the picture jesus has been teaching along the seaside uh, of uh of the sea of galilee and he gets into a boat and they're going to escape to another part of of land so they can be apart and be alone together uh and jesus is is tired and he leaves the crowd and there's other boats that follow him so there's scripture doesn't Illicitly say what explicitly say what they are two three four five boats who knows uh, but there's other boats following them he's in a boat with his twelve disciples verse thirty seven and here's the the physical thing that we'll spend a lot of time thinking about tonight and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling this is a passage I, I've said this before with familiar passages this uh, this story shows up in Matthew Mark and Luke. So it's a familiar passage for us. We've heard it before, but I don't want to lose the, the extreme nature of what's happening. These are disciples in the middle of the night after a long, hard day, and the winds are rising. It may be raining, maybe not. It just talks about winds here, and winds are coming up and, and filling the boat with seawater. And, and it's instant. Water is be, they wouldn't have set out into the ocean, into the sea if there had been this great storm. The winds kind of come up quickly, and the, 
the meteorology of it all is that the, there's big mountains on the side of the Sea of Galilee which block the wind. And so sometimes when winds get over that, they, they shoot down the, the mountainside and onto the, onto the waters. And it, when winds do come, they're huge and massive. And here, the winds are blowing up large waves. Commentators say that the waves are 30, 40, 50 feet in the air and blowing water into the boat. And so the disciples are freaked out. So that's the, the picture of what, uh, of what we're going to talk about. So get that visual image of Jesus in your mind as as we walk through this. And now we, we'll get deep into to some of the, the stuff that's here. Verse 38. <clears throat> but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He is on the in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Uh, it is, it's difficult to know because of the nature of, of how Mark writes. Mark isn't writing chronologically. He's not writing this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. He is writing relating stories to tell his point. So it's difficult to know. It, basically, chapter 3 may or may not have happened the day before or the day of chapter 4 happened. So it's hard for us to, to know specifically without error that the stuff that happened in chapter 3 happened just before the stuff in chapter 4. But commentators agree... Uh, uh, historians agree that, that definitely what happened was that Jesus had spent the entire day by the seaside in the middle of the heat, in the middle of the summer, uh, in the middle of the desert, uh, preaching to these guys and teaching big crowds and little crowds and then big crowds again. And, and so he's, he's exhausted. And probably what happened was that earlier Jesus woke up that day, went to the synagogue and began teaching the scribes from Jerusalem. If you remember when we were talking about that, the scribes from Jerusalem are the big wigs, the, the heavy hitters, the guys from Washington, D.C. These are the, the national Jews of main prominence. And they came with a rebuke and attack of Christ. And then just after that is when Jesus is teaching in a synagogue similar to this. And his brother, brothers and, and mom are out there telling him to stop. And he's like, forget you. You're not my mom. You're not my, my these are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my family. So he had conflict with his family. He had conflict with the, the most important religious leaders of the day. And then he goes on from that to, to begin to, to teach all day long, all afternoon, all evening long. And now it's the evening time and he's separating himself and he's fallen asleep. And, and I say all that to paint this one picture that Jesus is full of humanity. Kyle and I were talking. We were both out in the sun for the first time uh, this since the, it's been hot again all day yesterday, and we were both drained. As you can see, my wife is is tomato red on her shoulders. We were out at Six Flags for like seven hours, and just before that, we were at at a, their, my kids' first baseball game out in the middle of the sun forever yesterday, and we were exhausted when we laid our heads down last night. And I I, I knew that I was going to preach this today when I was experiencing that yesterday, and thinking and connecting with the fact that Jesus was fully human, and he's tired and and it, it in in the midst of of the storms of our lives in the midst of the the hardship and and just a difficult day a long day understand that jesus relates to that jesus is facing the things has faced the things that we face know that jesus was tired but he still stayed on mission. And his mission continues here, verse 38, the second half of verse 38. It says, they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The people, the disciples look at 
the situation and see impending death in their lives? Do you not see that we are perishing? Think of, of, of the, well, the, the calamity of the situation. These 30, 40, 50 foot waves are crashing. The boat is filling and they're scared to death and they run down to Jesus and say, we are perishing. They're scared of death, but at the same time, they're smart enough to know to go to Christ with, with this need. Uh, I want to bring a, a quote to our mind. This is, some of you guys know, Dave and Jeff and I were in Chicago last week for a, a conference. Uh, one of the guys that spoke was a guy named Edward Copeland. And in his message, he said this, If God is God, and He is, and right is right, and it is, then evil cannot come up with a perfect plan. Let that sink in your head. If God is God, and He is, and right is right, and it is, then evil cannot come up with a perfect plan. God is not concerned. Listen to the simple truth of this next statement. We live in a universe that God controls. Man, take confidence. Run through a brick wall. Fear not in a storm. Fear not in a trial. Fear not in in problems that arise. We live in a universe that God controls. Evil and evil men have limits. Stop acting like you don't have a father that's in charge. Connect with this statement and the truth that we know about this statement. And it's easy for us to sit in a suburban, middle-class church and, and say, Yeah, I agree. But connect with, with where these disciples are in the midst of where they are. And understand that death is surrounding them. And they go and say, Jesus, help us. We're perishing. We're perishing. And more about faith in, in a second. But Jesus, verse 39, says this. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. I want to read that again. And disregard the familiarness of those words. And connect with this huge, massive storm. And all the disciples, probably led by Peter, because he was their voice man, go down to the stern of the ship and say, Jesus, we're dying. 30, 40, 50 foot waves crashing around the boat. The boat probably halfway filled with water by now. Jesus awakes and rebuked the wind. That phrase cracks me up. He rebukes the wind. Inanimate objects are under the, the control of our God. And he says, peace be still. And the wind ceased. So fantastic. 
he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's interesting here in, in our perspective, knowing that these are the men that Jesus has decided, I'm going to come. God has, has this perfect plan for the redemption of all of mankind. And it involves me dying on the cross. And it involves these guys taking this message to the world. And here they are, scared to death, thinking that they're going to die. And I'm in complete control. Jesus is, he is always using the physical to teach the spiritual. And he knows that these men, at some point in their lives, are going to have their lives demanded of them. Every single one of these guys in the boat with him, with the exception of John, will die for the gospel. Here they are in the midst of the storm, scared that they're perishing. And Jesus says, teaching them, I am in control. You die when I say you die. And now is not the time. Have faith. Have trust in me. But faith, what is faith? You've probably heard me say before that faith is where trust and surrender come together. My three smaller children, uh, we, we had this... Uh, uh, birthday celebration like everybody but my mom's birthdays are within like three months of each other and and my family my brother's family and and my dad are all really close together all within like three months of each other so uh last weekend uh the weekend before this one that we're currently in we we got together on a saturday and and rented a a hotel with a in-ground pool and so we uh we all were there swimming together and this picture illustrated itself in my head is that Hannah Grace jumped right in. No floaties, no nothing, no worry about deep in, shallow in, whatever. She just jumped in and started swimming and having a good time. Cooper needed some encouragement. He needed his floaties. He needed to, to, to have knowledge that I was near and was going to be there to protect him. I was in the water. And Mia isn't getting anywhere near even the edge of the pool unless I'm holding her or Jenna's holding her. And the point of the story is that Hannah Grace used to be just like Cooper. She would get in, but only if she had her floaties and only if she knew I was close by. And before that, she used to be just like Mia. And she wouldn't get anywhere near the edge of the pool unless I was going to hold her or Jim was going to hold her. And we were going to be always holding her tight. If I even pushed her away and held her like this, she would freak out. And all three of my kids have been that way. And Cooper, now he's fine to get in as long as he has his floaties, as long as he knows that I'm paying attention. But he was just like Mia. And the point is, they've all learned to trust. And they've all learned to surrender. Because they get Hannah Grace gets in that pool and she loses the ability to swim or, or gets pushed and, and loses her, 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 her bearings. She's going to drown because she's not that strong of a swimmer. But she knows through experience that splashing around and being scared and, and help, somebody's going to be in there right away. So she trusts. And she surrenders her life to the fact that Jen and I are paying attention. Cooper is the same way. He slipped and he fell one day and I I jumped in the pool and and pulled him out. And he went from, you know how sometimes pools are like the shallow and they go down really slippery. And he was on this edge and slipped down to the the deep end without floaties on. And I dove in and and, and I used that to to teach him that I'm always going to be around. And just like God is always going to be around to protect you. And and you you see the, the illustration of surrender. They know that this water can kill them, but they have trust that I'm going to be there 
and they surrender to the fact that they know that they're not going to die as long as Jen or I are around or an adult that they trust is around. And that's what faith is, is more than just trust, but the willingness to surrender our lives. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey them? The, the, the central truth of what's happened here in these few verses is that certain death awaits these guys. But surrender to Christ brings them their life. So then what are the, what are the implications? What, what, what can we draw from this for, for who we are 2009. First, as we've talked about many times throughout the, this, this series in studying the book of Mark, there are three different people, groups, that we can draw implication from. The first is the disciples. This event happened to them. In this moment, Jesus is strong, and they will need the strength of this because their lives will be demanded of them in the future. They will face torture. They will face prison. They will face hunger. They will face desertion. All of the same things that Christ faced. Death, torture, desertion, hunger, being exhausted. All these things will come. They will have this physical event to draw on for their needs, for their strength and the future. And, and see the, the beautiful sovereignty of our God, knowing that this grand redemption plan for all of mankind is dependent upon these guys understanding these truths that they're learning. Peter, who was the leader of this group and probably the one shaking Jesus to wake him up, drawing on the strength of this event, said these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Insert storm here. Verse 17, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stuff is happening in your life. Stuff happened in the life of Peter to make him understand and come to grips and come to an honest interaction with this concept that Jesus is testing us so that our faith will grow strong so that we can dive into the pool like Hannah Grace and not dive into the pool like Mia. He is teaching us trust and surrender to bring us faith. And the ultimate thought behind this is Peter saying, bring it on. I love trials because they make my faith more genuine, more secure, more solid, and I trust you more. And then the end of that is the point of that. We may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's what this is talking about in 1 Peter. Praise, glory, and honor coming to our God. When he shows up strong in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of of problem, he shows himself to be really strong. 
The other portion of the audience that to, to draw implication from are the Roman Christians. Again, we've said it most every message that the book of Mark was written by Mark. He got his stories from Peter and he wrote it to the Christians in Rome in a day when it was against the law by execution to be murdered for believing and for professing to be a Christian. These are the people that are reading this message to where if it gets out that I'm a Christian, Nero is going to impale me on a stick and burn me alive. That is the, the fate of the Christians in Rome. And understand the, the severity of the implications for this. I bet you that they wish they had somebody like Edward Copeland was speaking to, to Dave and I and Jeff and the rest of the guys in Chicago. Stop acting like you have a father that's not in charge. There's nothing outside of the control of our God. And your trials, even your death will result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then lastly, in the place I want to land and spend a lot of time on and maybe even yell for a little bit, is for us. Um, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Colossians 1.17 And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This economy, your job, your family... Death, disease, marriage, no matter the manifestation of the storm, Christ is in control. None of these things have any power that Jesus has not given them. None of the difficulties in your life has any power that Jesus has not allowed them to have. I hope you let your mind chase the ramifications of that, the implications of that. And connect back with the story and the huge waves that are crushing down on these men and they're so focused on themselves that they're scared they're going to die. They lose their faith. They lose their trust. They lose their surrender. They lose their knowledge that Jesus is in complete control. And they run to Him and say, help us. Nothing is beyond the power of our God. And this gets us back to the kingdom of God and this fracture that I talked about last week and I've been talking about that we have a fracture in us. Before, and when I say fracture, I mean... The sin that's come into our lives. The, the sin that, that came into our first father, Adam. Before the fracture, there was no death. Now there is death. There is disease. There is hardship. There is difficulty. So these men, freaked out by verse 38, have this question. And, and the, they're scared because they're perishing. 
the fracture is winning in their lives, but ultimately it can't win. The the storm, the trial, the issue, the tragedy might be winning, but it can't win. And just like in this story, we can draw the metaphor. We see the storm winning, but Jesus, we see the fracture winning, but Jesus comes and he is in control. And with a few simple words, three words, peace, be still, he wins. Jesus is in our boat. And I think to myself, I've thought this to myself a lot this week and in recent months, weeks. What are we doing here? What are you doing here? Why are we here? And I don't mean some grand, why do you exist on this planet? I mean, why are you here in this building at this time saying you go to North Church? Why? What are we doing? And I am, I'm strongly convinced That we are here living together, reminding ourselves, reminding each other of this fracture and reminding ourselves and reminding each other of the hope that's found in Jesus Christ and living in community deeply together. Understanding that these storms are here to bring us into greater dependence upon Him. Uh, But... I believe that we've got to grow past that and through that. Um, There's been a, probably, at least perhaps, uh, lack of direction coming from me on this point, but we we have got to connect with a fractured culture. And I've, I've been... I'm, I'm apprehensive about growth for growth's sake. I'm apprehensive about growth for Rick's sake. I'm apprehensive about all that stuff. But the fact remains, and you don't have to look too far. You can... Everybody in this room can probably look very close to their circle of life and see someone who's got a severe storm happening in their life caused by this fracture and solved by this coming kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring to this earth. And we are selfish failures as we follow Jesus Christ if we sit on that knowledge of the kingdom. Do you hear that? 
we, we've, we've got to see that there's a, there's a, a storm and we're in the middle of it and, and people all around us are in the midst of it and their death is surrounding and de- disease is, is crouching in and pain is crouching in and Dave was telling me a story. There's some, some people that live in, in Colorado someplace who are going to come and, and rent their, their apartment, which is a, or their condo, which is a fantastic praise. We've been praying about that for a couple of months now, that they would be able to have somebody to come and rent their condo from them. But they're coming back because they lost their jobs. I'm guessing probably all of us know somebody who's lost their job in the last, in 2009. And we are selfish liars who have this beautiful message of the kingdom of God coming to our lives. We are not reliant upon Jesus to come and fix the boat. We are reliant upon Jesus to come and calm the storm. And that's the message that we have. That's the message of beautiful hope that we've got. And I think in our, that when we pay so much attention to what's happening in media circles we, and, and whatever, we think that, that people are shying away from religion, pushing it away. We don't want to have anything to do with, with church. I, I think that that's a lie that we've believed. And there are people in the middle of the storm I, I know of, of two very specific people who God has given me a, a burden for and, and a, a connection with who have pain and disease in their life. And the one thing that they're looking for is, will somebody show me God in this? Wake up! We all have this. We all have so many people in our lives who are begging us to show them God. And we sit around in this freaking room and enjoy each other. And nothing has changed in anybody's lives but here. That's, that's nonsense and it's, it's not what Christ has called us to. And I stand before you angry and I stand before you angry at myself because I failed to lead us in that but no more we lead we move towards God we beg of him to come and allow us to connect with people who have this fracture who who are desperately seeking God in their lives and the heart of the matter is that We aren't reliant upon Christ to come and fix our boat and see the metaphor. We are reliant upon Him to come and calm the storm. God isn't going to promise to save your friends from their disease. God isn't promised to, to save the Kuntz's friends from Colorado to come here and get a job. God has promised to come and calm the storm and bring the kingdom of God. Stop acting like we don't have a Savior who is in charge. And see the gospel here so plainly.
the boats that we ride around in are incapable of making it from shore to shore in the middle of a storm. Without Christ saying, peace be still, those disciples die on that lake. We are living in bodies that are incapable of getting from point A to point B in the midst of a storm. But the beautiful picture of the gospel is in the midst of that brokenness, Christ is there saying, peace, be still. We have no clue how deep our fracture goes and we have no clue how great our God is to save us from the storm. At the heart of it, in the midst of a storm, we can run and see our impending death and scream and yell and get all freaked out that we're going to die. Or we can show faith and trust and understand that God is in complete control. And this is the message of hope that, that we preach to ourselves. And this is the message of hope that we must preach to a culture who is fractured. Let's pray and then let's pray some more. And let's respond to our God. God, I thank you for so many things in this moment. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the words, peace be still. I thank you for the storms in my life, God. I thank you for the storms in the life of my children. I thank you for the storms in the life of my bride. I thank you for the storms in the lives of these people that you have given me charge to lead, God. And I thank you for peace be still. I thank you for these people and their dedication to what you have called them to. As Dave brought before us in the welcome, God, I thank you for that. That you have called each of us to this time and this place to run after you and to be involved here. God, I thank you for putting us in North County, God. Where there is poverty and where there is financial success. Where there is disease and there is hurt and there is need. God, I I beg of you now to open our eyes to the fracture of in relationships around us, God. And open our mouths to proclaim the kingdom of God. That our boats are broken and won't get us to our destination. But you say, peace be still to the storms. God, we trust that. Teach us to have faith in that. 
And now, God, as we enter into a typical, normal response time, I beg of you now to descend upon us. Attack our hearts and our souls, God, to give us a burden that brings us a physical pain, God. Give us vision, God. Give us your feet and your words. Allow us to not chase these thoughts away. Hold us accountable, God, for the things that we're thinking in this moment, God. And God, may we not look past the beauty of you for the beauty of your mission, God. Your mission for our lives is beautiful, but you, you, oh God, are magnificent. As we stand and respond now, allow us to respond to the mission that you're calling us to, God, but also allow us to respond to the beauty of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the kingdom that he has brought to us, the shalom, this perfect peace that he brings us to. We rest there, God. Be with us now as we respond. In Christ's name, amen.